are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Ki Seitze, Tav Shin Pei Beis. Today is already the 13th day of Elul. Elul is marching along. Are we marching along with it? Are we preparing ourselves for Rosh Hashanah? Hello, this is Rabbi Moshe Schnur with you again for another amazing, hopefully, edition of the Erev Shabbos uh, uh, Hilcha Shabbos show. We're so, so glad that you joined us, especially on an air busy air of Shabbos here on Chai FM radio. We're so glad to have you all on board, wherever you might be here in Joburg, somewhere else in the country, internationally, listening on whatever device you might have access to. It is really an honor and a privilege to make you part of our radio family. And we hope today to inspire you both first with an idea on, on the parsha, and then hopefully something that will buoy us and get us moving as we move through Elul's only, as we say, only about 12 or six, 16 days left till, till we stand before HaKadosh Baruch Hu on, on Rosh Hashanah. And we all know there's so much, so much to do. So this week's parsha is huge. There are so many mitzvahs, so many halachas. I wouldn't even know where to begin. But well, let's begin here. Pasuk says, If a person should have committed a crime whose judgment is death, and he was executed, he shall be put to death. So the halacha is, there are certain uh, crimes where if after the bezin puts you to death, by the death of stoning, Afterwards, they have to hang the person up as a way of publicizing what was done. So the Torah says, His body shall not remain for the night on the gallows. Right? Because a hanging person is a curse of, <coughs> of Hashem. We see from this halacha how exceptional we are to Hashem. For one who has committed a capital offense, the punishment is meted out, right, via stoning, right? You committed, let's say, idolatry or blasphemy or breaking Shabbos. The corpse is then hung on the gallows but must be taken down and buried before nightfall since... A human being is created in the image of Hashem. Indeed, Hashem calls us His children. Thus, the hanging corpse is an insult in the front to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rashi likens this to the twin brother of the king who was executed for an act of thievery. An innocent onlooker who passes by might momentarily think that this is the king who is hanging. When one considers this halacha, it's actually mind-boggling. This is the corpse of one who committed 
the most egregious of sins. He did not do it surreptitiously, but in plain sight after being warned by two witnesses about the gravity and severity of the offense and the accompanying punishment. Nonetheless, he acted seditiously and ignored every attempt to convince him to desist. Despite all of this, he's still likened to the king's brother. He deserves his punishment. But since he's created in the image of Hashem, his hanging corpse is a disgrace to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This teaches the importance of the Tselem Alakim, the image of Hashem, which applies to every creation, Jew and non-Jew. While the Gentile nations do not merit the closeness to Hashem, which defines us, they still maintain a Tselem Elohim. Rav Shmuel Bernbaum Zatzal related that when the Mira Yeshiva was in Shanghai during World War II, they saw for the first time men who were poverty-stricken pulling a rickshaw that, that people used as transport. The students were shocked to see human beings treated as animals of burden. In time, they became accustomed to the unusual sight. One of the premier Talmidim, Harav Leib Malin, that's how, who eventually became Rosh Hashiva in Masif de Torah could not reconcile himself with such demeaning of humanity. So he refused to ride in, in a rickshaw. This is the way we have to look at all human beings. We are all sons and images of Hashem. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul. On your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Kisetze, Tavshin, Pebez, Amir, 16 days before Rosh Hashanah. And we have work to do. And one of the things we have to do is really to be able to improve ourselves in our relationships with other people. So please come spend the next two minutes with us as we learn some tremendous, tremendous ideas together, which hopefully can make a real difference in our in our lives. The great Tana, Rav Tarfan, was a Kayin, actually both on his father and mother's side. Mother's side. The Yushalmi actually tells a story about Rav Doisa ben Hurkanus, who lived a very, very long life, even extending his life beyond Rav Yochanan and Zakai. And already in the time of the Chachamim, of Yavne, he was a very, very, very old person, and his his uh, eyesight had had gone to a great extent, to the point where he wasn't able to come to the base medrash, and therefore the chachamim would come to his house to ask his opinion about uh, important matters, and they tell the story that when Rav Tarfan would come in, so. He would testify about him that 
that uh, Avtarfan was a 10th generation descendant of Ezra Seifer, who also was a, uh, a, a Kayin, which it's actually a different uh, 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 text. Agamor, the, the Talmud Bavli says that Rabbi Lozman Azariah was a 10th generation of Ezra. This version says that it was actually Rav Tarfan. And when he was young, he was a Kayan at the very sort of end of the period of the second Besamikdash. And as Gemara in Masechus Kedushin says, originally they used to tell the, the name of Hashem, the name that had 12 letters, they would give it to almost anyone. But when they saw that people were unfortunately not using it properly, so then they only gave it to certain very discreet Kayanim and let them know that name. And those discreet Kayanim would, uh, uh, would say it, would say it very, very quietly and, 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 uh, and use it for the benefit of all the other Kayanim. In fact, the Bryce says, Rav Tarfan says, one time I, I, I climbed after my, my uh, uncle onto the platform where the Kainim used to do him. And I sort of turned my ear towards the Kain Gadol, and I heard that they were, that he was using that, that, that name. We also know from the Gemara in Kedushin about the great way that Rav Tarfan treated his, his mother. Right? Even though he was such a Great Talmachacham and such a wealthy person. Right? And where it says that every time that she needed to go onto her bed, so he would bend down and she would climb up on him. And every time she wanted to get off the bed, he would lie down and she would uh, descend on his, on his back. One time he came and and uh, they they uh, they praised him, and about this in the base medish, and they said to him, "Don't think he's so great. You haven't even reached halfway of of uh, of the of the level, uh, like uh, like uh, uh, others. Did, did your mother ever take a purse of money and throw it in the in the in the sea, and you didn't embarrass her? In other words, she." Uh, 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 she would hurt you to such an extent by throwing away your money and you wouldn't embarrass her? The Yushami, in two different places, tells another story. It says that the mother of Rav Tarfan once went on uh, for a walk in, in, in her courtyard on, on Shabbos and her shoe tore. So Rav Tarfan went and he put his two hands underneath her her feet and she was walking on his feet till she got to to uh, her, her bed. One time she became ill, and the Chacham came in to, uh, uh, to visit her. So she said to them, Davin for my son Tarfan, because he treats me with such covet, with too much covet. So they said to her, what does he do for you? So she told them about the story where, he, where she walked on his hands. So they said to him, even if he does this a, a thousand, thousand times, he still hasn't reached half the level of what he needs, of what he needs to do. And so we understand, therefore, 
And what the Gemara in Pesachim says about a story of Rav that one day he didn't arrive in, in the, in the Besmerish. And the next morning, Rabbi Gamliel found him and said to him, why didn't you come yesterday to the Besmerish? So he said to him, oh, I was doing Avoida. In other, in other, in other words, I was doing Avoida in the Besmerish. So Gamliel says, what are you talking about? Well, there's no such thing as Besmerish, as the Besmerish. Uh, it's after the destruction of the temple. So Tafan answered, no. The Pasuk says that Avoidas Matona Etenes Kunaschem. That uh, 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 today, eating of, of truma, of the tithe given to the Kayin, has the status of, of service in the Vesemekesh. And that's what he said he was, uh, he was doing. And the, and the Rashbat says in his, in his Sefer, Moganavas, uh, the Rabbi Tarfan, saw the Besamekdash both when it was standing and after its destruction. And Rabbi Tarfan, we know, he lived through the Khurban and he actually saw the Besamekdash while it was still standing. Because the Gemara says in, in Kedushan and also in the Medrash that he used to uh, go up to the platform with his uncles and uh, and heard them heard them duchening, right? And say he heard them saying the name of a uh, the name of Hashem, and that was in the time of the of the uh, of the Beis Hamikdash, because once the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, they never used Hashem's explicit uh, 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 a name that only used uh, a sort of Yudke Vavke name, and and. Uh, and even after the Khurban, he also lived because Rabbi Gamliel says to him in several several places, Why didn't you come yesterday to the best marriage? He says, I was I was eating I was eating a, a, a Turuma, right? And this was after the, the, the destruction of, of the base of the base of Mikdash. So we see that he lived also at that uh, at, at that time. And even more we find in in, in uh, Gemara Mechairis that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, so uh, he had a firstborn uh, a donkey, and and in in order to redeem her, he brought her in front of Rav Tarfan. So Rav Tarfan said to him, "How much do I have to give to the Kayin? So Rav Tarfan said, "They said that if you have a, a generous person, can give a whole seller, and a stingy person would would give a a a, a regular shekel." So we see uh, all these different stories. It was the story of four Zakanim that was sitting by the uh, house of, of Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lazar ben Masya, Hanani ben Chachinoi, Shimon ben Azai, and Shimon Atemani. And they were they were uh, all learning that which Rav Tafana taught them, and the Gemara that says in in Ksuvis that they were arguing: Did Rav Tarfan was was he the Rebbe of Rabbi Akiva or a colleague? But certainly we know that Rav Tarfan and Rabbi Akiva were were contemporaries. So we see Rav Tarfan was part of was already alive in the second generation of the Tanoim, but he lived all the way until the period of the Amoraim, right? Until the period of the grandson of Rabbi Yudah Nasi, right? The Gemara in Kedushin says that when Rabbi Akiva died, 
Rebbe was born. And when Rebbe was born, Rabbi Yehuda was, was uh, when Rabbi Yehuda, sorry, when Rebbe died, Rabbi Yehuda was born. When Rabbi Yehuda died, Rava was born. When Rava died, Ravashi was born. To teach us that no tzaddik leaves the world until the next tzaddik is there, is there to take over. As it says, the Zarach Hashem and Shabbat Hashem. When one set, when one sun sets, the next one is uh, is is born. Right by the time by the time Eli died, so Shmuel had uh, had had, take, had taken had taken over. So we see Rabbi Akiva. We know Rabbi Akiva lived till the age of one hundred and twenty, and only then Rabbi was born. And Rabbi Yudah Nasi was his grandson, and Rabbi Tarfan. So Rabbi Tarfan must have lived at least two hundred years, if not if not more. So that is the reward of someone who honors his parents. He gets this long life. We'll be back in a while. We have some very, very more interesting things to talk about. This is 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, back on your radio, Soul to Soul. We are talking about the great Rav Tafel, listen to a Gemara. The Gemara Gitten says that Isi ben Yehuda enumerated all the praises, the, the outstanding quality of all the Chachamim. And he says, uh, uh, Rav Meir was a Chacham and a Seifer. He was a scholar and a scribe. Rav Yehuda was Chacham L'Kishayitze. Rabbi Yehuda was a scholar when he chose to speak carefully and deliberately. Rav Tarfan was Gal Shelagoyzen. Rav Tarfan was a pile of nuts. We have to see what, the, all the, what that means at least. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Shmuel was Chanus Muzenis. He was a, uh, a well-stocked shop. Rabbi Akiva was the storehouse with compartments. Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, Kupas Haroichlem. Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri was like a uh, spice peddler's uh, uh, basket. Right? Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah was Kupashal, was Kupashal Besamim. He was like a uh, individual spice uh, basket. And Mishnas Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, whatever Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov learned was kav venoki, was was uh, uh, measured but absolutely pure. And Rabbi Yosi nimuka imay, Rabbi Yosi always everything he said he had a proper explanation and his reasoning was always with him. And Rabbi Shimon toichen harbe he ground a, a lot of a lot of things. Right, he, uh, uh, he studied a lot, but umaitza uh, akima. Uh, but he uh, released and he spoke very, very, very little. So we need to perhaps understand what is what is what is the what does the Gemara mean, particularly as regards uh, Tarfan. We're talking about Rav Tarfan about this concept that he was a uh, a, a pile of of, uh, of of nuts. So Rashi explains. What does it mean, uh, uh, a pile of nuts, that he uh, uh, wrote about, about describing Rav Tarfan, that it says in Ovis 
that just like a pile of nuts, a person can take one of them and they sort of uh, 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 realign themselves and fall back one on top of the other. So too, Rav Tarfan, if a Tamil would come and ask him something, he would bring a proof from some Pasuk or some Medrash or some Mishnah or some Halacha all together. Gimon Shabbos brings that what is considered to be a wealthy person, so someone who really is able to enjoy his wealth. That's the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Rav Tarfan says, anyone who has a hundred vineyards and a hundred fields and a hundred servants who work on them. And Rabbi Kiva says, anyone who has a, a, a wife whose actions are, are beautiful, that's a person who enjoys his wealth. And in the Penina uh, Mishulchan Agro, they bring it in the name of the Vilna Gon and his Lushan says, why did I have to bring this at all? So he says that we're being taught something very, very important here. As it says in Tasefta, anyone who learns a hundred halachas every single day, so he's promised that he's going to get Olam, Olam Abba. And the same thing as far as someone who says a hundred brachas every, every, uh, Every day, right? That uh, that uh, uh, in fact it says lechu ichlu belachmi go eat my bread, and that's referring to halachas and shetu yeni drink my wine. That is the agodas, the stories of 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 shas. So so too when we say we're talking about a hundreds. So Rav uh, uh, from one pasuk he had a hundred different drushes. And he says, that's what a wealthy person is. Anyone who has a hundred fields, in other words, he, he knows a hundred halachas and a hundred stories that can apply to every single situation, that is a truly, a truly a rich, rich, uh, rich person. And the going, in fact, explains that th- there's a fundamental argument going on here between these three Tanaim. What is the most important part of becoming a truly great person? Rav Tarfan says you have to learn and know the entire Torah because you have to be able to apply everything to every situation. Rav Meir says no. A person should always learn what he enjoys, mashali by chafetz, and then he'll become great. And Rav Yakiva says the most important thing is to have good and beautiful character traits, midas, like a wife, to have beautiful, beautiful midas. So Rav Tarfan held of the opinion that a person has to learn all the Torah, all the halachas, all the agaritas of the story, not just what he wants. And therefore, when he was asked a question, he would he was like this pile of nuts that he was able to he was able to answer from every area of Torah and bring it to bear on that particular on that particular question. Rabbi Akiva, he held the opinion that Wealth in Taira belongs to someone who has beautiful, beautiful midas. Because Rabbi Akiva, even before he was a Tamil Chacham, his wife saw in him, his wife Rachel saw that he was a Tsenua Male. He was a beautiful, beautiful person. He had, he had wonderful, wonderful uh, 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 midas. So, in order to really understand what this Gal Shelagoism, a pile of nuts, actually is so we have to bring we have to tell 
a following story about the great Makubal, Rav Avram ben Musa, who the Chida in his Shema Gedolim mentions him and the Sfarim that he that he wrote, and it says he when he when he was young he lived in the city Fez in in Morocco, but for whatever reason he needed to run away from Morocco. And he went to Tunis. And there are actually two versions of, of what happened, as, as is brought in the, in the Sefer, Maitzay Tzadikim of Rav Avram Kalfon. One girsa is that at the time of Rav Avram ben Musa, there was, a, in, in the city of, of Fez, there was a certain uh, 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 spiritual leader of, of the Muslims, who characteristically hated the Jews and who always was looking for excuses to to hurt, to bother the the, the Jews and and uh, and to you know, disrupt the life of, of of the Jews as much as possible. And story goes that Rabbi that Rabbi Avram had a Jewish neighbor who was a Yerushalayim and a beautiful person. And one day this person. Uh, uh, unintentionally passed a, a, a the the courtyard of the area of this I don't want to call him imam whatever you want to call it the Balbas got up and killed the Jew when uh, the mother of Rav Avram heard about the murder of this Jew she became so sad and she began she began to cry Rav Avram saw that his mother was crying he asked her what's it my mother why why are you crying so she told him about the murder of, of the neighbor by this, by this non-Jew. So Ram said to his mother, so don't worry, I'm going to take revenge for this Jew. What did he do? He wrote one of the holy names of Hashem on a piece of paper, and he went and bought a whole lot of beads, and he went and he stood outside this imam's house announcing loudly, who wants to buy beads? So the, the maidservant of this imam came out and said to him, please don't walk on this path because the, the, uh, the non-Jew might kill you like he killed your neighbor. Ah, so I see, says, says uh, 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 that you come from a, a good, uh, a, a good, uh, your family. Please take these uh, beads as a, as a gift. When the Rav said that she was, uh, 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 like really, in, really uh, uh, over, you know, kind of impressed by by the beads. So he said to her, "If you take this piece of paper and you throw it into the into the uh, water source of your master, I'm going to give you all the beads as a gift." So the woman agreed, and she took the all the beads. And she threw the piece of paper with the name of Hashem into the well of the of the of the imam, and at that moment in the house of the uh, of the imam was his whole family and his grandchildren and his and his uh, servants. They were all together. They were busy having a a uh, a meal, and as soon as they drank from the water of that of that well, they all died together with the with the imam. 
So the uh, the the king had had a custom to uh, occasionally meet with this uh, imam, <coughs> and once uh, he saw that the imam didn't come on that day, so he sent two servants, and they uh, revealed what actually happened. So the melech uh, consulted with his all his uh, officers and all his uh, advisors in order to figure out. How could such a thing have happened? So all the officers said to the king that this is a very, very complicated case. Only the Jews would know how to figure it out. So the king sent to call the Rav of, of the Jews and uh, they asked him to sort of solve this mystery within 30 days. So Rav Avram ben Musa went to the Beis Medrash and he went to learn Torah and he found there the, the Rav of the city and when he found out that the king had uh, invited him for a, a meeting, he understood that he was going to be called in to be the detective and solve the murder of the, of, of the, of the imam. So Rav Avram came to the, to the uh, Rav of the city and he said to him, Look, I killed this imam and his whole family in the same way as he killed our neighbor, the Jew, for, 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 uh, for he was completely, completely uh, innocent. And he told me exactly how he had killed him using the, 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 the name of Hashem. So the Rav of the city said to Rav Avram, that, that, you, uh, that you wiped out this, this, uh, this, this Russia. And he said to him, you know, you need to uh, uh, leave uh, uh, your home for one of two reasons. Number one, that the, the, the king shouldn't punish you. And number two, I am the Moradasa. I am the Rovia. Before you did this, you actually had a obligation to consult with me. And if someone paskins a in front of his Rebbe, He's actually uh, liable to put to death. And therefore, you need to go into Golas. You need to go into exile, and Hashem should uh, atone for your sin. So the robber of the city went to the king, and he said to him, I think I know what happened. I think it, it, the cause of it was the heating oven that was in the house of the of the imam, and the king said, "That's also what all my uh, officers and all my advisors uh, think that the the uh, this imam and his whole family died because of the uh, they, they they strangulated because of the of the of the of the of the heat." So the rov gathered a amount of money, gave it to Rabavram ben Musa. And he went together with his mother to the city of, of Tunis. And he became uh, very famous there as one of the Gedoyle of the Makabalim in that, in, that, uh, in that city. That's the one uh, version of, of, the, of the story. The second uh, uh, Girsa was, was also, as it appears in the, in the book of, of Avram uh, 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 Kalfon, uh, he says, there was a story with Rabbi Avram, the son of, of Musa, from the city of Fez. 
And the reason why he had to leave the city was that the wife of the king also hated uh, the Jews and also made all kinds of problems uh, 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 for them. So what did the Rabbi Avram do to her? He also did some kind of, did something until that what, uh, whatever she ate, she smelt the smell of, of excrement. And the doctors gave up hope. They gave her all kinds of, tried all kinds of medicines. Nothing, nothing helped. And afterwards, the king sent a, 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 a messenger to the Jews. If they know what kind of a medicine they could use. So they, they told, told this to Rabbi Avram and they called him and said to him, says, I, I can, I can heal her, but on one condition. Only on condition that she will leave the Jews alone from then on. And she accepted it. And he wrote her a certain Kamiya, and straight away she was, she was healed. And of course, the Goyim became very jealous, and they said to the king that uh, since he's the one that healed her, he probably was the one who made her sick. And, uh, and uh, he was. Uh, very worried that the whole story might might uh, 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 come out and cause some kind of a, a decree against the Jews. So straight away he fled. He fled the, the town. Now Rabbi Avraham ben Musa, when he uh, lived in the city of, of Tunis, so uh, he wanted to to stay there. He wanted to 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 stay in 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 the shul. You know that in the shul there was a, was a guest a guest room, and uh, he would just have something to uh, to eat. He was an incredibly, incredibly poor person, and he had uh, very torn, torn clothes. And while he was walking, so he was thinking in in, in Devetera, in Gomorrah, and, and, and in, in, uh, in Kabbalah, and suddenly he heard the voice of, of, of singing and, and, and instruments that were coming from a, from a house, from somewhere in the city. So certainly, he says, there must be a, a wedding today. Let me, let me go in order maybe I can get something to eat, he thought to himself. So in a few minutes, he got to the place where the, uh, where the Simcha was, and they were dancing and, and singing, all those that were invited to the, uh, to the uh, 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 Chasna, the friends of the Chasna and, and Kala, and uh, it turns out that the Kala was the daughter of one of the most respected people in the in the community. So after the uh, dancing, so uh, the all the guests sat down to to eat, and suddenly the father of the Kala discerned that there was a a stranger here that he didn't he didn't uh, uh, recognize. And yeah, because he was he was wearing Nebuchadnezzar, uh, very torn torn clothing, so he turned to his his machutin and uh, kind of alluding to the to the strange guest, and he said to him quietly, "Who's this that's come to our simcha in these old torn torn clothing?" So the machutin. Uh, uh, Shrugged his shoulders. I don't, I don't know who he is. So the father of the Kala understood that obviously this guest had nothing to do with either of the two sides. And 
in his anger, he screamed at him and uh, said some very not nice things uh, to him about uh, coming uninvited to to a, a wedding. And of course, Rabbi Avram heard uh, the words and in a few seconds he got up, left the place and went to back to his room in the in, in the hotel. No one even paid any attention to this lowly guest who had come in and and uh, and go out and the balbos was carrying on serving his his guests when suddenly as he went to the kitchen to serve the next course suddenly he couldn't see anymore and he thought maybe i'm just overtired and and he waited a few minutes and and it didn't clear he could not see a thing until someone actually reminded him you know maybe it was because of this guest that that you that you uh uh, in, insulted, and so they finally traced where Avram was staying, ran to his hotel, uh, knocked on the door, the Rebbitson came and said, what do you want? He said, we need to speak to the Rav urgently. And he said, no, sorry, he's already gone to sleep. He said, no, this can't wait till, till, till the, next, till the next, uh, next morning. So with no choice, she went and, and uh, woke up the, 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 uh, the Rav, and and said to him, you have to come out and and speak speak to these people. So he says, what do they want from me? So so he realized what they had what they had come from. And he said, is, is it not enough that uh, that that you can't that you that you can't see anymore? Do you want more? So so the the his Rebbitson convinced him to to speak to them, and the man fell on his feet and he said, I've sinned to you. Please 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 uh, uh, forgive me. And uh, Ram said to him, you know, your father was a big Tamil Chacham. And, and, and he had a very, very, very high neshama. In his merit, said Rav Ram, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive you. And he, uh, uh, he gave him a few more words of, of, of Musa. And, and the man, I promise that from now, I'm going to honor everybody. And those are the words of Rav Ram wanted here. He davened for him and he passed his hands over the man's eyes and and he could see he could see uh he could see again so perhaps we can say a new explanation what it means a a pile of of nuts you know the Gemara in Chagiga says that uh, uh what's what is the special quality of of uh, of uh, of a nut and even though it can be dirty outside and and all cause of terrible things but obviously that's just a shell Inside is so is so pure, and of course, when we, we when we look at people, don't just look at the outside. Don't just look maybe at the way they behave. Don't just look maybe at something they've said to you. But realize that the kernel and and the the inner core of every Jew of every Jew is is pure, and and let's focus on that, and and thus build ourselves and our whole environment around us as we prepare for the Day of Judgment. This is 101.9 Chai FM. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Area of Shabbos Kodesh. Pashas Kisetze, Tuf Shin Pei Bay is only 16 days to go until Rosh Hashanah. Are you on the bandwagon yet? Have we started? Preparing not only the great food, but actually preparing ourselves for this amazing and important day in the Jewish in the Jewish calendar. Well, anyway, as we 
go into our halachic uh, sort of slot in the show. Let's begin, as we always do, by going through the important times you need to know for this coming Shabbos. So first and foremost, this afternoon, the earliest time for lighting your Shabbos candles is at 4.45, quarter to 5. You can already get them on. And as we said last week, in Elul, it's a great idea that we know that every day of Elul can fix up things that we didn't do so well during the year. So if we've been a little bit late, perhaps a little bit lackadaisical in getting to Shabbos on time, let's make a special effort during these weeks before Shoshana to really, really try to fix it up. Let's try. If we can't make it at quarter to five, let's go for five o'clock or even 5.15 just to get it a little bit early. Allow the atmosphere of Shabbos to enter and permeate and take over our homes as early as we possibly as we possibly can. So 4.45 is the earliest, the latest time for look benching, for lighting our candles this afternoon is at 5.40, 20 to 6 is the latest time for lighting our Shabbos candles. That really means that you got to have everything ready, set up, all ready to go, everything, all the food all hot and the house all set up and the lights set and everything you need for Shabbos all should be in place. <clears throat> by 20 to 6. If you're driving to shul, your keys should already be in your locker in shul by the time 20 to 6 comes. That's really, there, there is injury time, there is time if someone's in a real emergency and, and running late and they need extra time. So then you have until sunset or shkia, shkia is at 5.58, two minutes before before 6. But that really is, that's not time to be relied on on a weekly basis, that's for absolute uh, emergencies. So 558 is if you want to be able to dive in Mayrev and not have to repeat the Shwan essay again, so all you have to do is wait till about 16 minutes past 6, 6.16, and that's already night. You can dive in Mayrev, say Shema, sure, it's part of the beautiful minion, and then you come home and... Uh, it's Shabbos in the home, and we sing Shalom Aleichem, and we make Kiddush, and we sit down with our family, all in good spirits, all in good moods. That's what Shabbos is about, joining together family time to talk together, talk about the week, talk about what inspired you, what miracles happened to you during the week, sing some nice zemiras, say some warm, beautiful words of, of Torah, together with the chicken soup and the knedlach, whatever it is that you're going to have for your Shabbos feast and make it something beautiful, make it something meaningful, make it something absolutely real and valuable for yourself and for the whole family or wherever you be happening to have your Shabbos meals. Tomorrow is Shabbos Kodesh, Pashas Kiseitze. It's a huge Pashas, so much in it there, so many mitzvahs. In fact, I think it's been said that this is the Pasha that has the most mitzvahs of the whole Torah and most of uh, the shas is, is is contained in this week's in this week's parsha. Lots of things worthwhile, definitely, to go through Rashi, get a bit of an insight, get a bit of an inkling into what's happening in in the in the parsha. They have Torah tomorrow, so yes, they have Torah for Pasha's Kiseitze is the Torah of Roni Akara Loyaloda, which is from uh, Yeshaya fifty four. But if you remember two weeks ago, Pasha's A. Uh, it was Shabbos Rosh and therefore we read after that we normally read on Shabbos Rosh instead of the special one of the seven Haftarists that we should have read on Pasha Sra'e, and therefore 
uh, tomorrow we're going to make it up and, and actually stick the two Aftaris to, together, the Rani Akara, which is the Aftar of Kiseitse, and the Ania Sayara, the Aftar, which was from Re'eh, they, they're right next to each other in Yeshaya 54, and they're both not very long. You won't even realize that we've read two, two Aftaris. By the time you blink and find the place in your Chumash, will virtually be finished all, already. Um, and uh, then we, we go into, we go into the, the day of Shabbos getting a little bit longer. Uh, please remember that to, uh, we're going to read Pirkeiavis. We're going to go through the whole Pirkeiavis one more time. Promise we only have three more Shabbosas left until Rosh Hashanah. And therefore we're going to be reading Perik Aleph and Bayes. Uh, tomorrow, Aleph and Bayes. Good chance to do some revision uh, on, on the Prokim. And then Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at half past six, exactly at, at 6.30. We then go into another important week of Elul. And of course, just a warning uh, that on Matzah Shabbos uh, or, or Sunday morning of next week, we're already going to begin saying Slichas and, and getting up a little bit early and preparing ourselves for, for Rosh Hashanah. Don't worry, don't panic. It's still another week away, not not this this week. We are talking about in our halachic segment, we are talking about the malachas of, of Shabbos on a general kind of introduction uh, 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 to the to the uh, to the halachas. So we uh, we said that every malacha has a particular amount of the work that has to be done in order for you to be liable in, in Bezin, if you did it on purpose or to have to bring carbon if you if you uh, did it by mistake. If you didn't do as much as the Torah prescribes to be liable for the death penalty, so of course you have violated a Torah prohibition because even to do any of the 39 lochas, even if one does a stitch of, of, of work in one of those categories, you've already violated a, a Torah prohibition but you're not going to be uh, uh, punished. Such as, let's say, you do some work like, I don't know, uh, plowing or, or planting or harvesting or, or, or building or something like that. So even if you did the smallest amount, uh, uh, you're going to be liable. And we're going to obviously deal with all these things, or whatever is mutter, whatever is asa, as, as we carry along in, in, in a very, very practical, in a very practical sense. Now, we know that all the malachas that were done for the purpose of constructing the, the Mishkan, those are the malachas that are forbidden on, on the Shabbos. Because in fact, right next to where the Torah uh, deals and, and describes in quite detail what, all that was necessary for the, the construction of the Mishkan. So it says right next to it, However, my Shabbos, you must guard. And, and the word says, we learn from that, that even though that building the Mishkan is a huge, huge, huge project and a huge, mis, mis, uh, and a huge mitzvah and everyone involved was doing something that was really, really holy, right? But nevertheless, that holy work one has to cease and desist from it on on the on the on the Shabbos. And that's what the Chacham said it's Gemara in, in Shabbos that 
you're only liable to be put to death or to be punished for those kind of work activities that similar activity was done in, in the Mishkan it, itself. And there's another positive fact that says, as Shabbos society, Shmuel, you must guard my Shabbos, umikdashi tiro, and have a, and have an awe of my base of mikdash, and Yashem. And, and Rashi explains there, even though that I'm, I'm warning you about, about the base of mikdash, nevertheless, my Shabbosus, you have to, you have to guard that and teach us that even building of the base of mikdash does not push aside the holy, the holy Shabbos. In other words, the main purpose of man, we know man was created in the image of, of Hashem, was to partner with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in establishing and developing and perfecting this, this world. And in fact, the main job of fixing, of fixing and perfecting and upgrading this world to the status that it needs to be was performed, was accomplished by the building and the construction of the, of the, uh, of, of the Mishkan. And because that's where Hashem's Shechina dwelt and inside of that, of that uh, Mishkan. So that kind of spread and disseminated Hashem's light for the whole, for the whole world. And it's revealed that the entire world is actually a, a fitting place to be a dwelling place for, for the Shekhinah. Because every place where a person would make, a, 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 and whatever he would do and accomplish and be involved in, but he would do it with Shem Shemayim for Hashem's sake, and he would do it uh, honestly, and he would do it kindly in order to add more goodness to the world, the Shekhinah would, would definitely be there and, and the Kedusha of the Mishkan would spread to that space. We'll come back with some closing comments in a moment. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb only on 101.9 Chai FM. 1.9 Chai FM Soul to Soul back on your radio last few minutes together on this set of Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Kiseitze in the year 5780 we're talking a very very beautiful concept we're talking about the work that was done in the Besamekdash which was all for the purpose of bringing down the Shekinah and our conclusion is really therefore that all work done in the world has the ability and, and the potential to, to bring the Shekinah bring God's presence into the into the world, and in and in spite of the incredible uh, 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 value, we were told to rest from all that work on on Shabbos. In the same way as Hashem created the world in six days and the seventh day he rested, we have to cease and desist from all work, all creativity on on Shabbos. And and this is this gives tremendous tremendous uh, uh, kind of internal vitality to the six days of, of, of creation of, of the week because there we're, com- we're there, there we're commanded to be creative and on Shabbos we're told to rest on, on Shabbos. And then we merit to really, really uh, reveal the inner workings and the inner purpose of all creative activity. My Shabbana was told at our Sinai that the number of forbidden activities on Shabbos are 39. And 
obviously well, we could even list them if we if we uh, 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 wanted to. And all thirty nine malachas are called avos. They're all major categories and work that is under the general heading similar to them are called also are called avos. But those other malachas that the comparison to these major categories is not a complete comparison. Those are toldos. Those are corollaries of the of the uh, of the actual malacha. And there's actually practically in our world, there's no difference at all whether something is an av or a tolda. Both of them are forbidden from the Torah, and the punishment for the same for both them would be exactly the same. Except that those things that are exactly similar to what was done at the time of the Mishkan, that's called the Av, and those Malachas that are only limited the capacity in, in what way they're similar to what was done in the in the Mishnah, those are called those are called uh, uh, told us. And the the halachic ramification of the division of the Malachas of Shabbos into 39 categories is simply that if a person would do any of these activities by mistake, and in fact maybe he did all 39 of those activities by mistake, i.e. forgot today was Shabbos, or he forgot that those activities are forbidden, he would have to bring 39 sin offerings in the base of Mikdash. And if he did five different malachas, he would have to bring five sin offerings. But if he did... Uh, uh, many activities that are all under the umbrella of one malacha, even if it's a, a major malacha and, and it's corollaries, then he would only have to bring one chattis. There's so much more to discuss, but our time is over. And all I have time to do now is wish all of you an amazing, an amazing, beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. Since we're getting so close to Rosh Hashanah and the weather is getting so beautiful, it really is a beautiful, beautiful time of the year. Let's make the Shabbos something amazing, something special. And I so look forward to joining you again, please God, next week as we get a bit closer to Rosh Hashanah and we'll talk some more, hopefully, amazing, insightful, inspiring Torah that will help each one of you Make the Shabbos, this Shabbos, the next Shabbos, and every Shabbos, the most amazing thing it can possibly become. To each and uh, all of our radio family, to you, a gishmat, warm, illuminating, and inspiring. Good Shabbos.